Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Project MedTech. I'm your host, Dwayne Mancini. As always, if you need anything from the podcast or would like to suggest a future guest, please email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. And you can always visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com, or follow us on LinkedIn. My guest today is Dr. Talia Moran Schatz. In this episode, Talia and I discuss her new book, her research with Danny Kahneman, interoperability, multidisciplinary teams, relationships with clients and patients, the psychology of how patients and how physicians and other primary care providers make decisions, and more. So without further ado, my discussion with Dr. Talia Moran Schatz. Okay, Dr. Talia, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I mentioned uh, in your bio that uh, you're going to be releasing a book called Your Life Depends on It, What You Can Do to Make It to make better choices about your health. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to give a little bit of background about your 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 history, your profession, and and then leading up to the book? Uh, yeah. So first of all, it's I'm very excited to be doing the podcast because it's the book is coming out tomorrow. That's that's a super exciting moment for me because there's maybe more than a decade of research that led up to me writing this book. So I have a PhD in psychology. And I did my postdoctoral work at Princeton University with Nobel laureate Daniel Kahneman. And I taught consumer behavior at Wharton to really brilliant undergrads and MBAs. Um, So what's that got to do with health, you might ask? Um, I've been doing both research on medical decision-making and I'll I'll explain what that means because it sounds very vague. So I started with genetic counseling. For example, when a woman is pregnant, she takes all kinds of tests and screenings that oftentimes we don't even know the difference between the two. And she gets results and then she gets anxious or super worried or doesn't feel she understands and doesn't know what to do. And that's the type of things I did research on, um, trying to find ways to make information clearer. That's always my goal because my work sort of borderlines with medical ethics and ethics is about what's right and what's wrong. And I always say I am no ethicist, but I do know that it it isn't right for you to make a decision based on missing information or based on information that could have been presented in a clearer way. And it's my job to find out what this clearer way is, how you can really be empowered in your medical journey and how anyone creating a medical app or a medical device or anything at all can empower you and then give it to you. And then it's your life and you, and your life depends on it. Right. Mm -hmm. And you will do whatever you think is best. I don't know what is best for you, but I do know that you need to understand what you're up against. Mm -hmm. So that was a long winded way of saying that I've been doing a lot of research on medical decision-making some on digital health, a lot on just understanding how people view their health condition, how they appreciate or evaluate their doctors, what they need in various situations, which we know a medical situation can be difficult, painful, alarming, 
or riddled with uncertainty, all of the above. And you can still support a person. We're not sugarcoating these moments. You can't, but you can make them better. So yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, um, you know, so I, I, I saw that you, and I don't know if you're going to get to this, that you studied under uh, Daniel Kahneman mm-hmm. at, at Princeton. Um, so, so part of the reason why I wanted to have you on and why I thought it was really relevant to people developing medical devices, um, yeah. which is where the podcast focuses, mm-hmm. is because, so when I read um, The Undoing Project by Michael Lewis, um, yeah. which is about Daniel Kahneman and Amos Traversky. Yeah. Yeah. So when I read it about them, you know, they, they studied, what is it? Social economics? Is that, what was the, the, it's the main? Actually, it's, it's a great point you're making. Uh-huh. They're both psychologists and I'm a right. psychologist too. And then it became known as behavioral economics and that's yeah. the cool name. That's how the cool kids. Yeah. Call it. <laughs> right. Okay. So um, when I read that, it became apparent to me that if you were a financial advisor, this mm-hmm. would be a good book for you to read. Cause you can, you can, it's some insights onto how maybe some of your clientele behave. And then, so when we talked, it, it was apparent to me that it'd be, it'd be important to have you on because as a medical device company or digital health company, mm-hmm. it's important for you to understand how your clients or how your end user, how your patients are going to evaluate their health and how they think about their health. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm very curious about this and I'm very excited to have you on because I think this is a new aspect of how uh, companies need to think about when they're making their products, when they're selling their products and, and, and things like that. So um, let's, let's dive into to some of your research and some of your findings and some of your main points. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, I want to borrow a term from Daniel Kahneman and I did my postdoctoral work with him and we published together. So that was, whoa, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> incredible experience. Like what, what's it like working with one of the world's smartest people? Right. Oh and to, to, to pipe in real quick, and, and just for people who didn't know, I mean, Daniel mm-hmm. Kahneman did win a Nobel Prize for his work. Yes, so absolutely. This, yeah, this is pretty it, good. It was <laughs> such a well-deserved Nobel Prize. I mean, it, he did two really amazing things. One is the whole bias and uh, heuristics paradigm of how we use mental shortcuts in our work. Another is prospect theory, and I won't get into that, but each of them is just incredible and is so focal to how we think. And I love that you ask about that. So one of the terms he uses and one of the ways he looks at the world and at our thinking is thinking fast and slow. So basically saying in this head of ours, there are metaphorically, there are two ways or systems of thinking. One is system one and system one is quick and dirty and it's designed to just let us make decisions and move on with our lives without spending too much cognitive effort. System two, on the other hand, is slow. It's more elaborate. It requires really thinking and processing a lot of information. And we like system one. It's more intuitive. We use it and that's fine. And the example I like to give is when you're choosing a sandwich, you'd better use system one, right? Or you'd be standing by the, by the sandwich counter for an hour figuring out the glycemic value and whatnot, and you're hungry. So you just say, oh, I like this. I feel like this. That's, that's, um, that's system one terminology. 
And you might think, and you would be wrong if you think that, but that's a very common mistake. You might think that when it comes to really heavy um, topics, we only use system two. I mean, who would use a mental shortcut and just say, I like this, it sounds great um, in things that relate to their health. The truth of the matter is that oftentimes we really don't know. We can't use system two thinking so when I go to see the doctor, it's important that I see a good doctor, right? That's very important for my health, especially uh, if, uh, God forbid, I have a serious health condition. I go see the doctor. System one thinking is, I like the doctor. The doctor looks authoritative, or the doctor didn't look me in the eye, or there's a, the, the secretary, the reception person was not nice to me. And these are all system one things. And they're very emotional and they're easy for us to gauge. They're, they're not important. They're not the, at the gist of the matter for which I'm seeing this doctor. But system two thinking would require me to know, so where did this doctor train? How many people like me have they seen? What's their success rate? How does this compare to other doctors' success rate? And you can easily see, and I see you smile, Duane, because it's like, well, who knows these things, right? Mm -hmm. So yes, we would like to think that we use system one for sandwiches and system two for medical topics, but the truth is that this is not the case. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a scary point to be making for people who develop apps and devices, et cetera. Why? Because you need to know that you'll be evaluated on the quality of what you do, but also on the hints that you provide for people regarding that quality. So if your product looks somewhat on the shabby side, just because you think it doesn't really matter, like you created this amazing platform and you know, design isn't your strongest topic. I look at it or anyone looks at it and says, hmm, doesn't look serious. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one example. Another example, and it's, more, and it's much more serious is, so people are cognitive misers. They don't like to spend a lot of brain power on anything at all. And sometimes it's just really hard. So if you created something that can be incredibly useful for me, but is also complicated for me to use, mm, not sure. Am I going to use it? Will I understand? Are you throwing a ton of data at me that I now need to decipher and you think it's helpful for me, but actually... It's not because it just makes me feel stupid and I'm not sure what to do with it. Or I look at one data point and I think I understand it, but I don't. If you're doing that, you're counting on my system too. And you are probably making a mistake. And let me tell you, this isn't an uncommon mistake. So I worked with many startup companies. I have also worked with many corporations, big companies with deep pockets, and teams of wonderful engineers. And what they don't always take into account is this type of thinking. So they think, well, we developed something. It's very good. Like it's a platform for adherence to medication. You're sick, you need to adhere to your medication, use it. Hmm, doesn't work like that. As a patient, you need to understand what the platform wants from you and you need to be emotionally motivated to be using it. Um, but I want to say something else about two types of humans, right? We have patients and we have doctors and they are human too. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so doctors are swamped. They work incredibly hard. COVID has made everything more difficult, but it was difficult to begin with. So they're swamped with bureaucratic demands. They're swamped with seeing patients. It's hard. And then we throw our wonderful product at them. Um, years ago, I was, and I was very proud of that. I was proud of, I was part of New York City's Health 2.0 meetup group. It now has okay. over 7,000 members. It's amazing. It's like the hub wow. of creativity and innovation and everything at all. So yeah. I was, I was, Super honored. I led their Pharma 2.0 series. There I was like super, super excited about what I was doing. And then companies would come and present. And sometimes they were also super proud about what they were doing. They would present their solution. And they would expect, they had this presumption that the doctors would feel as excited about it as the developers were and would learn all about it. And I'm thinking, hmm, but would they? Like, really? Do you really think the doctor would take time to learn your, your platform if it is not intuitive, if you are not helping them with system one? Um, and then comes a more professional term, obviously, which we're all familiar with, and that's interoperability. Okay. So it's, if things are seamless, then it works. And it's great. And if they're not, it's not it is not that great. It does not bode well for the product. Um, the funny thing is that even patients know that. So I did a study with colleagues, Dr. Stefan Becker and other colleagues, and we showed patients a really beautiful and cool um, diabetes app. So it's a glucometer that connects to your iPhone. It just looks like a gadget. It's, it's really pretty. And the reason I'm pointing it out is because people don't always like to feel sick. So that's just another tip for developers. Um, You have the functionality, but let's think about patients' emotional needs as well. So do they want to log around a very good glucometer that makes them feel sick? Or do they prefer having a very cool glucometer that makes them feel techy? Mm -hmm. I think the latter, at least for some people, this makes a difference. Yeah. we show this to patients who were fairly, they were 60 and above, and not all of them were excited about using the product, but some were. Mm-hmm. And then they said, but wait, I, I don't think my doctor will know how to use this or will want to learn how to use this. So patients are also aware that it's not immediate if they have a gadget or a system or anything that's even wonderful and helpful for them that it will be seamlessly integrated with their physician. Okay. So you touched on a number of, of really interesting topics. Um, the look and the feel um, of yeah. it is, is, is important. So I want to, uh, you know, make a comment on that. I, I think that a, a good example of that um, is Apple, the iPhone mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. something like Samsung. Um, the way I understand it is if you're an engineer, um, Samsung and, 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 and the Android is like amazing. It, it's so, it, it gives you more flexibility. You're able to do more with it. Um, you know, from a hardware perspective, I, 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 I am told that it's, it's better. However, mm-hmm. 
iPhones dominate the market. And, and it's really, when you think about it, it's, it's everything from the packaging, how you mm-hmm. open it, the simplicity of it. Um, yeah, you can't move all the buttons around the way you want, um, like maybe in an Android, but people like the simplicity of that. Yeah. And, and you've kind of seen that play out on a larger scale. It's the same way with devices sometimes. Um, I think of like, my my whoop my whoop app. Have you heard of the whoop band before? I wear it right. I here. have not. You're okay. educating me. Yeah. So the, so the whoop band is something you wear. It measures your heart rate variability. Um, it takes into account strain, but not just from a cardiovascular perspective, mm-hmm. but overall strain on your body, whether that's in your central nervous system, if you're feeling stress, your uh-huh. respiratory rate, it does all these things, but the, the application of it and, and I, I'll hold it up, but the, yeah. the listeners can't hear is actually it's really simplistic, right? So there's a lot of advanced data they're gathering for you, mm-hmm. but, but giving it to you in a simple way that, that you can chart and see. And, and it's, it's, it's really convenient. It's really nice. I don't know if they're the best technology on the market, but they, they have a clean application, a clean mm-hmm. way of showing data, which is really important. Um, mm-hmm. Which I, I couldn't agree with you more. Sorry, I just want to yeah, jump in go ahead. Yep. on your point. What you said with Apple and Samsung, it's it's one. It's such a wonderful illustration. So I'm not an engineer, right? A phone mm-hmm. is a phone. So I don't know that Samsung is better technologically mm-hmm. than Apple. I do know that an iPhone can be white. It's like, wow, that's mm-hmm. different. I remember my, uh, a really good friend of mine had an iPad Years ago, she was a postdoc at Stanford. She was in the cafe with her little iPad or iPod. It was an iPod. Okay. And people would approach her and say, what is this? You know, because it was different. It was Mm -hmm. white. It was different. It was new. It brought in other values, added values on top of I can listen to music with my Sony Walkman. Um, and right. you can do it with your iPod and you are so cool. Like, oh my God, I'm going to stop you on the street. So that brings in an added value and it's peripheral. Mm-hmm. But if you've learned persuasion and my students have, and they'd better remember it. Um, we evaluate things also peripherally. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Does it really matter to the quality of music you're listening to? If your iPod is white and people stop you on the street, not an iota, right? Mm-hmm. But it's pretty and it's cool and it gives you an added value that you did not have before. And by the way, you're better at gauging that added value than you are at understanding the complexities of the mechanism that allows you to play the music. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's a great example. And, and, it, and like I said, we might want to think that people think more deeply and evaluate things more deeply when it comes to heavy stuff, things that matter to their life like savings and health. Not so much though, really not so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I think that when people are listening to this, it's, it's glaringly obvious for like digital health apps for devices that the patient might see why you need to design a device that might be appeasing, um, to them, you know, to, to, look at, but, but also like you mentioned, and this kind of ties into the doctors are human as well. Mm -hmm. It also matters to the doctors, like for, for an, for an implant device, um, for something that the patient might not see, but the doctor's going to see, 
the doctor is your customer as well. They're an yes. end user and so is the patient. So um, you need to keep that in mind when you're designing, your packaging, your marketing, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. um, I did want to touch on, so that, that was the third one you touched on. The other one, the second one was the overcomplication of things. And, and I saw this a few Fridays ago, someone was, was, you know, talking about their technology and it, it in theory was amazing when you thought of it, you know, my, my second path of thinking was like, whoa, this is, this is awesome. There's so much here. This looks great. But my, my first path was like, this is so overcomplicated. Do I need this? You know, and, and that's something you got to think about sometimes is I see a lot of products out there that are really cool, really innovative. Um, but what's the value they're bringing? I mean, at some point you have to worry about that's great, but you got to convince more than, you know, 5% of the market yeah. in this scenario to, to adopt your technology. And, and that's just the overcomplication of things I see frequently, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's a hard conversation to have. So, so maybe you can comment on that. You know, when, when, you're a, when you're an entrepreneur or you're an innovator and you develop mm-hmm. this product and you're like, oh, this is amazing. But then five people tell you, uh, you know, the first five people you, you, you pitch it to say, I, this is cool, but what's the market for it? It's overcomplicated. Who's going to mm-hmm. adopt this, you know? Um, talk about that, that line of thinking. Have you done any research there of... of people being resistant to that feedback. I, I, I see that a lot too, because they're very I, resistant to it. I, you know, it's like your baby. Yeah. Her right. baby actually is amazing and wonderful. <laughs> Will not you. say a single bad word about her because she is perfect. Um, but, but, with, but with technology, we need, we really need to understand mm-hmm. that people do not like complexity. In fact, Dwayne, you have a podcast on medical devices and technology. And what did you just tell me? You just told me how much you loved your Ruband because it's simple, mm-hmm. because it explains things to you. It doesn't throw a ton of data points at you and expect you to do the math or the logarithmic value. It just says, turn, take it down a notch. Yeah. Or something. And, 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 and that's great. That's human feedback. Mm-hmm. You understand it. You relate to it. You do not need to spend too much cognitive effort on that. I want to say something else about the about the feedback that entrepreneurs may receive and resist. So, the re, I, I was a bit late to our to our session today because I was speaking to a journalist about my book, okay. and she said you have to serve it up for journalists and for the audience. You have to say these are the three things to do about like how to be more assertive with your doctor, how to be more effective when meeting your doctor. Um, when I set out writing a book, I did not think of it in terms of three things, 500 words. You know, I wrote a book, mm-hmm. but that's how people digest information. They want you to chew it up for them. And that's true across the board. And again, it goes back to the very simple, but very powerful and, and true paradigm of system one, system two, you're, you're a customer you're a venture capitalist. That's your 10th meeting of the day. 
you need the entrepreneur to help you. And by helping you, they're helping themselves. You need them to help you understand the value proposition and why it's great in a short sentence, ideally with an emotional example. It might seem like we're infantilizing the, the field, like we're trivializing developments, but that, the truth is this is how people think. And we're, we're swamped. We don't live in a world where we feel, oh my God, if only someone developed one health app, I would use it. There are hundreds of thousands of applications and devices. And if you want me to buy yours, pitch it to me for real. Like tell me why it is great, why it is better than others. Explain it to me in a way that I will understand mm -hmm. and will make me want to use it. And if you're overcomplicating, I mean, the, the Wu band that you're mentioning, it could do so much more. I mean, I, I'm sure that the back end is complicated. It's not simple. Those guys didn't sit down and say, let's spend an afternoon creating this. Let's just throw in two pieces of data and make something out of it. It's, it's not how this works. But the beauty is in the simplicity. And if you think about it, um, if you, we think of, say, our um, blood sugar level. It's one number. Mm -hmm. It's a number. You know that if you're at 200, oh my God, not a good place to be or your A1C level. Why is it 10? It should be seven. What's mm -hmm. going on here? And that trickles down to a whole lot of actions you now need to take, but you understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. So that's that's one thing. Um, I, want, I also want to say something about people's resistance to feedback. Okay. Um, speaking of biases, right? One of, the bi one of the better known biases and one that I did my PhD on is the confirmation bias. Yes. So, yeah, like you, you, you have a thought, you have a hypothesis, you have a theory. It can be loosely based on something or it can be very firmly based in the case of whatever you're developing. You just know that whatever you're developing is phenomenal, right? And it has amazing value and everybody would want it. And anybody who thinks it should be different is an idiot. This is what you know for sure. Then along comes someone who's giving you feedback. And just as you thought, they're an idiot. I mean, they're not really an idiot. It's just much more convenient for us to disqualify information that is not aligned with our initial hypothesis because it hurts. It's not fun. It sends me back to the drawing board. I could feel that it's invalidating my work. Um, so from the perspective of decision sciences, what I can say is the confirmation bias is very, very strong. It's very powerful. Try to put it aside for a moment. Just look at the feedback you're being given and don't disqualify it as we do by saying it's invalid, a person who said that they don't understand, they have it in, they don't like me, um, whatever. That's, that doesn't, that's not helping you. Mm -hmm. Just look at the information in as non-emotional, non-unattached way as possible. Um, feedback is good, you learn from it. You don't have to accept all of it, but you do learn. And the more yeah. you detach yourself from the, from the insult or the personal feeling that you're being invalidated, you can say, this is helping me. Mm -hmm. they're, yeah. they're trying to help me. That's another way of just of framing it. This mm -hmm. is adding to my value. And that's great because if five people are giving me the same feedback, do I need to hear it from another 50? Or can I say, 
wait a minute, let me recalibrate. Mm-hmm. Let me yeah. scale back. Yeah, it's hard. Um, but it is, I think, I think there's like a number of factors that that cause that. But one of the big ones that I see is 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 like there all of a sudden there's this um like need to be right and never, mm-hmm. never change your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, for me, I, you know, I, I studied medicinal chemistry. So, so I, I grew up in, in the lab and, and, and going through the scientific process of saying, Hey, I, I have a theory, but mm-hmm. if new information presents itself, then I have a new theory and I'm wrong. And, and that was okay. But there seems to be this, this like, notion that once you say, Hey, I, I think it's this, you can't ever go back on that, even if mm-hmm. new information is presented. And that's the same way with these companies. It's, it's, if someone presents to you new information, you need to take that in and determine, is that good information mm-hmm. or bad information and re and rethink oh. your, your idea, but it's hard to do. Um, and it takes a real effort because it's against our human nature to do it. It um, does, but it's yeah. also brave and it's the best thing to do for your product. So mm-hmm. in my book, I give an example of okay. a company that contacted me and they created a well-being, not, not really a well-being, they created um, a platform for tracking your health Okay. and giving it a number, giving it a red zone, green zone, um, I was looking at it on my screen. I was in my office at Princeton. They were in their office. There were like four or five of them. I'm looking at it. My, I'm like, oh my God, I feel like I'm, I'm in a cockpit. There are so many clocks here. And that's like the opposite of your, what you were saying about your app. I said, right, this was right. clearly designed by engineers. And the CEO said, told me afterwards that he couldn't sleep for a month after he'd heard that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he took the feedback. They had contacted me, and that's really the benefit of multidisciplinary teams because you could be the best chemical engineer in the world. Mm-hmm. You need someone on your side to bring in other aspects, like the design aspect or like the psychological, the motivational aspects. Do, do people understand what you're telling them? Do they know what to do? Do they feel like doing this? And I have to say it's hard because one of my projects was with a, a large company and they, did, they had developed an adherence to medication platform, which worked fine. It was fine. It was, of course, developed by engineers. And then I came along, their boss had hired me. And should I, should I pretend and say they were all super excited to have me hop along? No, they were not. It was, it was strange and they could view this as undermining their expertise. But the truth is that their expertise was not in behavior change. Mm-hmm. And once they had shelved that, once they shelved, dare I say, their ego and said, what, what is she talking about? Well, she has a PhD in psychology. She studies medical decision-making. Maybe, maybe, maybe she knows something. I don't know. Let's just give it a chance. And they realized it could help them. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very important distinction to make. So what is your goal now? Is your goal your ego and protecting what you think is right? Or is your goal really killing in the world, improving health, um, being super successful in your venture? And in this way, you should look at feedback as a gift, not mm-hmm. as an insult. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, what other, you know, we, we, we hit on a few, I think you've mm -hmm. given some great advice for startup companies. Mm -hmm. um, what were some other the pieces of advice you had? So I want to give you an example from a study I did on medication. Okay. So it's atrial fibrillation medication. It's when you, it's medication that you take in order to prevent a stroke. Mm -hmm. And I reached out to hundreds of patients asking them, I mean, knowing that they're on this medication, um, what do you know about your medication? Mm -hmm. And how did you choose it? Can you venture a guess how many pieces on, of information they knew on average about their medication that they were taking for years and prevents stroke? That's big. I would, I would guess one or two. Yes. Very good. <laughs> Dwayne is the winner, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so what, what, wow. 1.5 pieces of information. That's not a lot at no. all. And no. when we asked, so how did you choose? Because that's, it was, we got a grant from a pharmaceutical company and they wanted to know the mechanism, although they were very far from surprised about that. Mm -hmm. And the answer really was, you could frame it as system one. Or you could yeah. frame it as a reliance on authority. So medication, this type of medication is not direct to consumer. You have to have a prescription, but it's heavily advertised. And that's why pharmaceutical companies contact me because they want mm -hmm. to influence prescriber behavior and patient behavior, but more mostly prescriber behavior because what we saw was that the patients said, oh, well, it's based on its effectiveness. How, how do you think a patient gauges a medication's effectiveness? Who do I they mean, ask? I have who, no who, idea. Who would you ask? Who would you ask? Yeah, your doctor. Your doctor, exactly. Yeah. So you're the consumer, but you really don't know. And that's fine. That's absolutely fine. You ask your doctor. So that's a long way of saying, even when your um, customer is the patient, you might be in an area where they are seeking the physician's advice. Mm -hmm. And you want the physician to be able to say, yeah, this looks really good. Or I heard of the whatchamacallit and the whatchamacallit seems to be getting the job done. And you have to help the doctor understand that the whatchamacallit, which is whatever it is that you are developing is really good. And mm -hmm. let's go back to the very beginning of our conversation to system one you could give them a very long brochure, but that's system two. And that takes up a lot of time and effort. Help them, seriously help them. And, and I'm saying this because I'm being realistic and because I know the reality of what it's like, even for sales pitches for, from sales reps to physicians. Of course you have all the information. Of course you have all the data, but you kind of need to be chop chop about it. And that's mm -hmm. fine. This is how I, I want to say this is how doctors think. That's a great book by Jerome Groupman. But this is how people think. And doctors can dive deep into the data and look at it, which we can't always. Um, but they also need a shortcut. So if you are developing, and that's, that's maybe the final tip for today, but it's worth its weight in gold for real. It's wonderful to develop a good app. It's wonderful to develop a good device. Your work does not end there. Mm -hmm. You have to think of yourself also as the marketing team. It doesn't mean hiring someone to write some cute text. It means 
really understanding the value of your product and describing it in a way that a physician will understand and a patient will understand. And that is golden. Um, I was speaking to someone today in a different context and they said, it may shock you, but life is not a meritocracy. And I think it's the same here. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be the best phone, the best device, the best glucometer that wins, the best doctor even. Mm -hmm. It is the, the phone, the device, the glucometer, the doctor that appears to be the best that I look at and I like. Yep. And it can be annoying, but that's just the reality of it. You have to acknowledge that. Right. So um, a couple things. Um, yeah. I think that I, I talk about this a lot on the podcast that mm-hmm. um, getting a, there's a lot of really, really cool, really, really good devices um, that solve problems that never are successful. Um, they get approval and then they they kind of teeter out and they're done. Um mm-hmm. And that kind of gets to my point of for, for a med tech startup company, mm-hmm. the, the single, the, the valley of death is mm-hmm. without a doubt commercialization and mm-hmm. actually achieving regional market access and then eventually, you know, selling it at a larger scale international, um, you know, without the support of a large strategic with a big sales force. So mm-hmm. I think, I think that, and that, and that kind of dovetails into my other point, I want to have you on again um, mm-hmm. to really talk about as a, as when you, when you're out there developing and selling a product, how do you, how do you take advantage of that pathway one of thinking? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you have to get to pathway. I, I assume that ultimately for, for, you know, when you're, when you're selling this, um, you, you have to get, to, there's going to be people who think in pathway two, but you have to get through pathway one to get to pathway two to for them to consider it probably. So I'd love to talk about that as a second, as a second episode sometime in the future here. For sure. Um, but, uh, okay. So looking at the time, I got, I got one more question for you. So, so if I'm a, a med tech entrepreneur or mm-hmm. a med tech innovator or someone developing a new product, you know, why do I go out and get your book? Your life depends on it. What you can mm-hmm. do to make better choices about your health. Um, that's a great question. I think you go out and get your life depends on it. What you can do to make better choices about your health, to understand the mindset of the person buying the product and to understand the mindset of their physician and to understand the world you're living in, which exists outside of your product and the the real pain points, I think, Mm -hmm. for people. And if you reach them and target them, and and the last thing I'll say is a word that you don't think belongs in a med tech company, right? Or in a med tech uh, podcast, and that's relationship. So if you read my book, you know, for example, that the relationship with the doctor is very important, but you also read an example I gave, which I was, I was fascinated by because it's something that happened to me as I was consulting. And only later did I understand that relationship was at the crux of it. Um, A company approached me because they were developing a new model for HMOs, a new way of of serving up payment, et cetera. Um, And it required people giving their credit card info. This is where relationships come in. You want me to trust you. 
you want me to trust you with my credit card info, or you want whatever device you're using that you want, the device wants you to trust them, to put them on your body. That's intimate to know things about you, about your sleep, about your stress, about they are invading your life. You need to trust them. There's a relationship there. There's an element of trust. There's an element of giving. I'm giving you access to my body. What are you giving me back? So if you think about it in terms of relationship, things become very clear. And then when I wrote the book, I had all these huge aha moments where things came together and I understood. And this the, the level of thinking that I think can be very, very helpful. And that's just one of the things that I realized as I was writing and I'm serving up for patients and for developers and for whoever is working in this phenomenal area um, to be more effective without having to invest a lot of money and a lot of technological capability. It's just the psychological barriers. And if you help people overcome them, you might be more likely to win. And Mm -hmm. isn't that where you want to be? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I, I, I got the book because, um, it's, it's from a, for personal reasons, right? I think it's valuable for me as, I mean, we all have to think about our health, but also I think it's important, you know, as an entrepreneur, you need to understand while you're designing. Mm-hmm. And then also when you're building a commercial commercialization plan, how the end users are going to think about this. And that includes the, the healthcare providers and the patients. So I find it fascinating. Um, I really appreciate your time. Hang on for, for one minute once I stop the recording here. Um, but uh, I really appreciate your time today and I'm looking forward to reading the book. Thank you. So guys, it's coming out tomorrow. Your life yes. depends on it. What you can do to make better choices about your health, read it and tell me what you thought about it. And thank yes. you so much, Wayne. You bet. Now include a link um, to the book on Amazon uh, so people can uh, order it. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Hold on one minute here. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at projectmedtech.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.